Welcome to the Founder Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Founder or how you can get involved, visit thefoundrychurch.com. All right, we know that that is not really how it is, and that is why we are in this series of sermons. And listen, I can tell you with all integrity that Christina and I, we live out the habits that we've been talking about in this series, right? Serious fun, right? And, and loving God first. But listen, just to be honest, our unique us, well, it hasn't always been that way. It just hasn't, right? And I would say, and I would think that, that Christina would agree that when we were first married, our us was a little rough, right? And we weren't that unique, special beautiful snowflake that Christina likes to say. Instead, we were more like a mud puddle that you would find on the side of the road. Right, so we're going to give you an example of that. One of our, our first fights, right? Um, we, I didn't hit you. <laughs> one of our first arguments, right? Uh, and to this day, probably one of our biggest arguments was over the widely important topic of ironing. Right? I've said it before, right? But ironing, like you're ironing your shirts and your pants, right? We were young newlyweds living in the bliss of ignorance that is the first couple weeks of marriage, right? And we thought we were perfect, right? Until we got back from our honeymoon and Christina started doing the laundry. Dun, dun, yeah. Dun. yeah, like now, right? When we were first married, I wore a shirt like this mostly every day, like, like a button-up shirt nearly every day of the week. And when I found out that Christina pulled all of the clean clothes out of the dryer and then had the audacity to hang them up right away, right, it enraged me with the, the, the fire of a thousand suns, right? And in the spirit of authenticity, we'll explain, right? And I will tell you that how I reacted to this incident was not exactly Christ-like. No, that may be the understatement of the century. <laughs> um, what I didn't know the first time I did laundry was that Andrew expected me to take the shirts out of the dryer, iron every single one of them, and then hang them up. Absolutely. Now, if you do this for your spouse, more power to you, but I do not do this, and I thought it was probably the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. And so I asked him, well, why can't I just iron the shirt that you're going to wear that day? He responded by saying, and I quote, I like to have my options. Yes. So it was at that point that I began to act not so Christ-like and said a few things that I, to this day, still live to regret. Um, I'm not going to go over them. It's a little inappropriate, but needless to say, I did not help. Absolutely, right? And we went on like this back and forth for whatever reason, spouting filth and screaming things that no one who loves another person should ever say to that other person. And then I decided I should, I should leave the situation, right? Um, not the marriage, but the apartment at the very least, right? And so I went for a drive as I usually do when I'm thinking about something or if I'm angry, right? And so I, I drove away and I immediately, I, I started telling myself all the things that I deserve to hear. Things like, man, you are a great husband, Andrew, right? And she should want to do this for me, right? I'm the leader of this household, and, and I should just get what I want, and she should just do what I say, right? I said things to myself like, 
I look good in those shirts, right? And me looking good is a good thing for her, so she should just iron them. Right? Basically, I was, I was mentally and emotionally justifying the terrible way that I acted. So about two hours after this battle royale and a couple Dairy Queen blizzards, because that's usually where I end up on my drives, right? I came back to reality. I started thinking to myself, what, what happened, right? How, how could I just flip out like that, right? I, I know better. I, I greatly regret it and still regret the way that I responded. So, so as often happens, I, I drove home, quietly came into the house, into the apartment where, where Christina was cleaning up my mess and I apologized. And to be honest, I am Italian so I have a bit of a temper. <laughs> so I had some things I need to apologize for as well. So I apologize. And now, for the sake of our marriage, there is a budget line in our budget that is simply titled Dry Cleaning. So we moved on, and we have a plan. <laughs> yes. Well, listen, I, I know, right? I know that I created a moment that would linger for a really long time. Maybe we can all relate to that, right? If we're honest, right? We can all relate to that. We've all done that. You had a conflict with your spouse and one of your buttons got pushed and, and you reacted in a way that you just wish that you would have not acted in the very first place, right? Right? Conflict can be so destructive to marriage, right? And I know that it was to ours. And so today in this series, as we are starting to kind of near the end of this, this, this topic, I wanted to get really, 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 really practical, all right? And that's what we're going to do today. We wanted to sit down with everybody, right, whether you're here or watching online, couple to couple, and be honest and real and hopefully equip each other, equip ourselves with a tool, a resource that will help you when conflict does arise in our marital relationships, right? We are are all about equipping growth here at the Foundry. That's one of our, our values, and that is why we want to focus on that this morning. Right? We discovered a, a tool, a resource, a while ago that not only has been great in our marriage, but we believe that it can be great in everyone's marriage here at the Foundry. Right? Whether you're, again, married, right? or soon to hope to be married someday, or even if you know someone who is married, or if you're on the far side of marriage, you're a a widow or a widower, right? This is a resource, a tool that we can share with others in the kingdom of God, right? In fact, we want every married couple to do the following exercises that we're going to talk about this morning. And I don't want you to take credit for these exercises because I'm not smart enough to come up with these on my own. They were a resource that we used in our marriage, but this is something that's great. And we learned it from a guy named Ted Lowe, of married people, the vision of orange curriculum. Some of our kids, when they go downstairs, some of the curriculum they use is orange curriculum, family ministry stuff. So it's great stuff. Let's go ahead and dive in. Okay, so you might hear the word exercise and think, okay, I want to run out of here, yeah. not in the healthy way, but <laughs> um, we promise that these exercises are worth it and they're going to help you forge the marriage that God wants you to have. So the idea for these exercises begins with one very simple question. And it's this, what is the one thing about your spouse that drives you mm. the craziest? Yeah. Now, when I ask this, most of us 
don't have to think for more than two seconds about what that is. Uh, but before you answer with something like, well, he always wears white socks with his red pants, or she never takes the dog out, or if you're like my husband and you think inappropriate thoughts about your fun time, that's not what we're looking for. <laughs> what we're looking for is the one thing that anytime your spouse does it, it drives you crazy and makes you mad. Yes, so when you put those parameters around what we're going to be talking about, I still don't have to think that long, right? I said the thing that drives me the craziest about Christina, right? Now this is a safe space, right? <laughs> right? The thing that drives me the craziest about Christina is that when I ask her to help me with something, right, I feel like she acts in a selfish way with her response, right? That's my thing, right? Right now, once you have your thing in mind, right, when you think about this thing of your spouse, right, I want you to ask your spouse, what is the thing that, that you do that drives them the craziest, right? This is the exercise. This is what we're going to do later today or later in this week, right? And a word of advice, right? You may want to wait until they're in a good mood, right? <laughs> but still ask them, right? Ask them this question sometime today or sometime this week, right? And once you hear their answer, right? Once you have your answer and once you hear your spouse's answer, I think you're going to find out something. You're going to realize something. Those two things, those two things are chasing each other, right? They're, 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 they're going after one another. Okay, so we're going to explain this. Um, when Andrew asked me this question without skipping a beat, I said, well, I feel like sometimes you're being manipulative Never. when you ask me to do something for you. So let, let's go back to the ironing story. When Andrew asked me to iron all of his shirts, it sounded a little something like this. Hey, you know what I would really love? I would love it if you ironed all of my shirts when you get them out of the dryer. Now, it's only if you want to do that or if you really want to make me happy. Um, but... I just think it would be a great idea, only if you have the time. But I feel like you have the time because you're only working part-time. And I know that you love to make me happy. We went on and on like this. And it frustrated me, and I can't imagine why. But <laughs> so when I heard him ask me to iron his shirts in that way, I felt like he was trying to manipulate me. And so I responded by getting quiet and having short answers and saying no, which he read as being selfish. So he responded to my no by getting defensive and telling me that he couldn't believe I was bothered by such a simple request, especially since he asked so nicely. And he told me I didn't have to do it. And then I responded by, by to his defensiveness by shutting down even more, getting quieter. And the more I shut down, the more he got defensive and around and around we went. They were chasing each other. So looking back on this argument and most of our arguments, we now understand that that is what is called our negative chase. And this, knowing this was huge for our marriage and we want the same for you. This is the first exercise, the so, negative chase. Yeah, so we're gonna walk you through how to figure out what your negative chase is in the exercise. Um, and we'll have handouts for you later. But it is a whole lot more than just asking, hey, what about me drives you crazy? Because <laughs> um, that's not helpful. So as um, we dig into this, we understand that later on, these conversations might be uncomfortable and might be a little bit frustrating. But we promise you're going to be glad you did it. Yes, right? So we are trying to help you guys here not create more conflict. So that's the goal, all right? Not more conflict by digging up old arguments, but and equipping growth so that we grow in our relationship as a couple. 
So to understand your negative chase, you will need to discover four things that happened in, in your past conflicts, right? right? First, your negative response, right? Your, the lie, number two, the lie written on your heart, which we'll explain in just a minute. Number three, your spouse's negative response, right? And then number four, the lie written on your spouse's heart, which again, we'll explain in just a minute. Now, before you dive in to step one later today or later this week, maybe on your date night, we first want to walk you through mine and Christina's negative chase, right? This, this exercise in hopes that it will help you more easily understand yours by seeing one kind of played out, by seeing how this exercise actually works. So let's, again, use the time where we got in that weird argument about ironing, the time that Christina and I got into a negative chase when I asked her about ironing, right? I don't know why you didn't do it, but now it's an illustration we can use in a message, right? This is a silly example, but play along, right? So step one, right, for me, our negative chase starts with me identifying my negative response, right? And my response to Christina, like we said, was to get defensive, right? I, I started to defend myself by saying, after all I do for you and our family, I can't believe that you don't want to do this for me, right? I know, right? I'm a champ, right? <laughs> right? Step two, right? That was step one. I get defensive. Step two was to discover the lie that was written on my heart. And this is a little bit more difficult, right? Because conflict, arguments, reveals the lie that is written on our hearts. And what do we mean by that, right? At some point, most of us have had interactions with people that resulted in a lie that was written on our heart, something that was imprinted on our heart, right? Maybe that person was a parent, a coach, a, uh, a friend, a colleague, uh, a sibling, maybe even your spouse, right? You discovered that lie right, by asking yourself, how did that conflict make me feel about myself? That's how, that's how you discover step two, right? The way our conflicts as a whole usually make me feel about myself was that I was inadequate. Right? I felt like in that moment or in the moments of our arguments that I wasn't worth her time. Now, was Christina in that same moment trying to get me to understand that she thinks I'm inadequate? No, right? absolutely not. But from an early age or from whatever reason, this lie has been imprinted on my heart, right? There's, there's standards I, I make for myself that I can't reach, and so I feel inadequate. Or there's, there's things placed on my life where I feel like I'm just not worthy for that task. And so this lie has been imprinted over and over on my heart, right? And when I thought Christina didn't want to help me with whatever task, it tapped into that lie. It brought that lie to the surface. I felt inadequate. So it made a small situation big for our marriage, right? The, the situation was not about my buttons being pushed or, or my shirts getting ironed correctly, right? It was about the lie deep down that was written on my heart, right? It was, it was brought to the surface. Now listen, before I lose you, I know this kind of sounds like psycho babble baloney, right? And listen, to some degree it is. It, it really is, right? But don't dismiss it. It's still a good exercise, right? I, I've seen this change many marriages, so hang in there, right? And here's where it's going to really make sense. 
right? When, when I got defensive, when I got defensive in our arguments, it revealed the lie that was written on Christina's part, right? Something that she struggles with, something that she deals with, which is that she doesn't measure up. She doesn't measure up. So when I told her that I could not believe that she does not want to do this ironing or whatever for me, she felt like I was saying that, that she doesn't measure up, not only in this situation, but as a wife, right? For her, it was not just about the situation. She felt like she didn't measure up altogether. And she even said things like, I, I know I, I'm not going to be as great as your mom and have the house always clean and the clothes always ironed. I know the picture that you had in your mind of a wife was not me, right? Totally inaccurate, right? right? When we started to discuss where these, these lies written on her heart came from, we immediately thought it was something she experienced growing up. Why? Well, because that is where we have been taught to believe, and there's some truth to that, where we, where we think it's from where we're growing up, right? But when we asked, honestly, if her mom had told her that she didn't measure up, the answer was no, for the most part. Right? The answer was no. Was it her dad then? No. Was it her sister, her siblings? No. Right? The, then, then where had this lie come from? Right? They hadn't written that lie on her heart. Then it, then it hit me like a ton of bricks. I had written the lie on her heart, right? I had written a lie on my precious wife's heart. Now, did I think she didn't measure up as a wife? No, absolutely not, right? I was just hurt by a situation, and then my words, my defensiveness got too big, and they hurt her. So while I so regretted the times that I hurt her, I was now thrilled when we were doing this exercise for the first time that we were figuring out what we were really fighting about. Right? What was at the core of our arguments? Because then, once we realized that, we had the power to, to respond, to, to make a positive chase out of a, a negative chase. Right, but to, to finish up this negative chase exercise, before we get to the positive chase, here's the big picture of this. Right? When my response brought up the lie that was written on her heart that she didn't measure up, right? Her response, like she said, was to withdraw, to be quiet, to, to give short answers, to, to give me uh, short, angry answers and withdraw from the situation, right? Now, now watch this, right? Because this is where you really start to get the full picture of this exercise. When I got defensive with Christina, it hit that lie on her heart, right? She thought, I don't measure up. Her response was to withdraw, and then when she withdrew from me, that brought up the lie written on my heart that I was inadequate, not worth her time. And I responded by getting defensive. And around and around and around we went in a negative chase we would go. Right? This was, and still is, our negative chase. But when we started to understand this, like we said, it changed everything. It gave us a resource. It gave us context. It was so powerful we finally knew what we were fighting and arguing about. So again, now it's your turn to do this, right? To do this today or this week. We've provided a resource that will explain it, that will help you work through it. If you're not here in person and you can't grab it at the Info Center, we have one for you on our website or on 
the Foundry Burst app just took the resource page, right? This is an exercise we want you to do. So now after you've done what doesn't work, <laughs> you get to figure out what will work, and it's called the positive chase. Yeah. Here's where we get to take responsibility for the lies on our hearts and what we're bringing into relationship and conflict and where we can grow. Because as individuals, we are responsible for those two areas. We are responsible for the lie written on our heart and for how we respond. So this positive chase exercise will help you to discover different ways to respond to each other, even in conflict. So, and as we did with the negative chase exercise, we're gonna walk you through the positive chase exercise that was Andrew and I's. Hopefully it'll help clear up some things as you're going through it yourself. So in the positive chase exercise, it starts with the exact opposite. It starts with the truth. So the lie written on Andrew's heart was that he was inadequate. But as a believer, as someone forging their life on God, we have the ultimate source of truth. So if we go to the Bible, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Andrew found this truth. Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10 says this, right? Each time he said, right, this is Jesus saying this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, right? And so then Paul says, so now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ, right, Jesus, can work through me. That's why I take pleasure, he says, in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Then he says, for when I am weak, I am made strong. So when Andrew replaces the lie written on his heart that he is inadequate with this truth, yeah. he can respond differently. If Andrew believes that God's strength is made perfect in his weakness, when I do not want to or I don't have time to do the things he's asking me to do, like ironing all of this stupid button-up shirt. <laughs> We're not persecuted against. Right? It's not that big of a deal anymore. Andrew can figure it out because with God, he is enough. We are all 100% responsible for changing the lies written on our hearts and replacing it with the truth written in Scripture. Amen. I am also 100% responsible for my response. Andrew and I are no different. So if Andrew focuses on 2 Corinthians, he doesn't have to ask me for help in a manipulative way. He doesn't have to say, hey, if you don't mind, or if you really love me, you'll do this. He can say simply, hey, when you're at Walmart today, can you stop by the dry cleaner and pick up my dry cleaner? I'm still not going to iron those shirts, but I can pick them up for him. <laughs> so if I say yes, that's great. But if I say no, he can choose to be non-defensive and to follow the truth instead of his emotions. He can respond instead of react. He can choose to give me the benefit of the doubt and choose to not make it about him. And we can do the same thing. We can choose to be non-defensive when we remember the truth of ourselves found in Scripture. It empowers us to not get defensive and to stop the negative cycle. So let's go on to the next step. This is where I have to choose to take responsibility for the lie written on my heart and my response to Andrew. So my lie, the lie written on my heart, is that I don't measure up, that I'm not made to be Andrew's wife. So I hold on to the truth found in Psalm 139.14. And it says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. Or as I like to paraphrase, I get to hold on to the fact that I was thought of before my birth 
and made the way I am on purpose in a wonderful way. When I remember that, it helps me to change my negative response and it helps me to stay connected to Andrew. When I live in the truth that I am a wonderful work of God, that Andrew getting defensive about not ironing his shirts, it doesn't rob me of this truth. And I can stay connected to knowing that I am fearfully and wonderfully made helps me stay in it. So that's it. That's our positive chase. When Andrew remembers that his power is made perfect in weakness, he can be non-defensive. And when he is non-defensive, I can more easily remember the truth that I am God's workmanship. And when I remember that, I can stay connected to Andrew. And around and around we go in our positive chase. Yeah, now again, right, this is your turn to do this exercise, right? It may seem simple, but it takes some work. It takes some thinking, right? It takes some thought about where you are and to be honest with yourself. So it's your turn to do this exercise sometime today or this week. And as you do, you will learn what happens when we live out a positive chase, right? When we are living out the positive chase in our marriages, in our relationships, when we will live out a positive chase instead of a negative chase in our future marriages, right? What happens, right? When we are living out a positive chase, we are living out the chase that we read about in Ephesians chapter 5, right? The, the chase of respect and love. Listen, Paul addresses the way Christian homes, Christian marriages uh, should operate. Right, if you have your Bibles, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Right, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. You can use the Bibles that are in the seats there. You can follow along on the screen behind me. Or if you're at home, download the app, the Foundry Burke app, and click the Bible tab, and Ephesians 5, 21 will be pulled up there for you. And it says this, right? And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right? So this positive chase, right? Keep your finger there, right? This positive chase begins with mutual respect. So what if we simply respected our spouses, submitted to our spouses out of respect and love? Because, listen, no matter what scripture you choose for your positive chase to, to combat the lie that is written on your heart, it will have a huge element of respect, right? As you go deeper into this passage in Ephesians, Paul speaks directly to husbands and to wives separately, right? Jump down 10 verses to verse 31 through 33. Let me read this to you, right? He says this, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united in one. Right now, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ, right, Jesus, our Savior, God, the God we're forging our life on, right, it, it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church, us, right, us, we're not, it's not a building, it's a group of people, right, the way that the Christ and the church are one. So he says in verse 33, so again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband, all right? Now, keep your finger there. So what is required of husbands in this particular passage? If you're a 
follower of, of Jesus, if you're forging your life on, on God, what is required of husbands is unconditional love. Unconditional love. That's right. Right, guys, we are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And Christ died for the church. Right? So we must literally be willing to lay down our lives for our wives. So when she does something that frustrates us or is just crazy or like we're scratching our head like what is she doing? Right? We need to think about how we're thinking. Right? We need to ask ourselves, am I unconditionally loving my wife? Am I uh, loving her like Jesus? Am I loving her with a gospel love? Am I going to respond with truth or just react with emotion? Right? Jesus loved me. Right? Here's the gospel, right? Jesus loved me. He loved you. And he loved all of us enough to die on the cross. And while we were still a sinner, he did it even still. Right? He loved me when I was not perfect. He, he died for me when I was not listening, when I was forging my life on anything but him. Right? Right? He, he loved me when I wasn't doing what he asked. He loved you. He loved us. He loved our spouses. He, he's loving us. That's the gospel. And am I willing to do the same thing for my spouse, for Christina? Because when we do... It's great for our us. And this passage also speaks directly to wives. So I'm going to talk directly to wives. Men, you don't get to tune out, but I'm just really going to talk to the women, right? Um, and this is the part of every marriage sermon that every 21st century woman dreads to hear about because it's the part about respect and submission. So just hang in there with me, ladies. But I think it's very in this section of scripture, Paul tells women to respect and to submit to their husbands. He commands a wife to respect her husband, even when he doesn't deserve it. Now, some of you are like, okay, but Paul never met my husband, so he doesn't deserve respect, and he's definitely not deserving of submission, so I'm just going to do my own thing. My husband can figure it out. I am a woman. And you roar. <laughs> but... That's not what this passage is asking us to do. And when we hear words like submit and respect, as women, we can sometimes automatically go to thoughts about being pressed down or pushed aside or left behind. For some of us, it can even bring up painful memories of abuse. The command for a wife to respect her husband and for spouses to submit to one another can seem to make the wife lesser than or beneath. But here's the truth. And women, please hear me when I say it. This is not what this section of scripture is talking about. The scripture does not, nor will it ever give your husband permission to lord over you or to hurt you. This section of scripture is about a husband protecting his wife with the love of Christ and a woman submitting to that love. The passage is actually very clear of what a husband should be doing and how he's supposed to love his wife. He is to give up his life for mine. He is to love me as his own body. He is to feed and care for me. He is to love me like he loves himself. He is to be like Jesus and love me unconditionally. 
And if my husband is loving me that way and we're in conflict, we're respecting and submitting to him, it becomes a little bit easier. Our marriage can become a safe place, a holy place, a place that feels like home even when we are in conflict. It can be a place where respect and submission actually make a little more sense. When we place ourselves as women under the authority of a Christ-like husband, when we submit to a man who is loving us like Jesus and we respect him, our feelings about the words respect and submit can change. Because I think that respect is not about hierarchy. I think it's more about heart. If our hearts are aligned with God, if we love him, then we will respect and submit to our husbands. It says in John that if we love God, we will obey his commands. And we are commanded as women to love, respect, and submit to our spouses. Now I want to pause here for a second and just acknowledge a truth that I think we can all agree on. It is easier to submit to a godly man. Seeking to love God and love us in return as a husband makes submission and respect easier. I thank God every day that I married Andrew because I know that he is working very hard and praying even harder to lead our family in a way that aligns with God's calling and God's commands. Believe me, it doesn't make it easy to submit. <laughs> I'm no third. <laughs> but it does make it easier. But for those of you who may be listening and thinking, well, that's nice, Christina, but I'm, I'm not married to a pastor. You don't know what it's like to be married to my husband. I would answer you and say, you're right. I don't know what it's like. But God does. God knows exactly what it is like to be married to your husband. He knows every tear you've cried, every prayer you have prayed for his salvation, every word you have screamed out asking, why am I married to this woman? God also knows the beautiful, amazing, powerful woman of God you can become regardless of how godly your husband is. God is with you, sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. If you're currently in a marriage with a man that is not loving you wholly as Christ would, if your husband is not forging their life on God, I want to read a passage to you from 1 Peter. It's not going to be up there on the screen. Because I just really wanted you to listen to it. This is from 1 Peter chapter 3. It says this. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. I think this, this scripture points to, to one thing. Women, there is power in our submission. I once heard it said that men are the head of the household, but women are the neck. I don't really like this saying. I think it kind of negates the power or the leadership of men in our lives, but it does point to one very important thing. When our hearts are in the right place, when we are focusing on God and submitting to and respecting our godly husbands, we have the power to change their lives. Our submission and our respect has the power to change our husband's eternity and our marriages. It's huge, and it's not just something we find in Scripture either. 
The power of a wife respecting her husband is something that has been shown in scientific study after scientific study. Both secular and Christian studies have revealed time and time again that a man's primary desire is to be respected. In other words, lady, he, was, he would rather you respect him than love him. Does he need love from you? Yes. But his primary desire is respect. And Paul knew that when he was writing it, and he knew it would still be true today. A man craves respect more than anything in the world. Is Paul saying that women don't want or deserve respect? Not even close. That's why he started this passage about mutual respect and submission. But it is vital to your husband and your marriage that you respect him the same way. At the same time, studies also show men <laughs> that um, women's primary desire is to be unconditionally loved the way Christ is. Women want respect. Of course they do. But their primary desire is to know that their husbands love them. Yeah, it's just another cycle, right? It, it looks like this. When, when she feels unconditional love, right, she tends to be more respectful. When, she feel, when, when, when he or the man feels respected, he tends to unconditionally love a little bit more, right? And when she feels unconditionally loved, she tends to respect, and around and around, in another positive trace, if you will, they go. Right? It was what Peter was talking about in the verse that Christina read. Right? If we had the truth of God's word, and if I, I love like Christ loves, and she respects me the way that, that, that uh, Christ is commanding, right? And then we have a positive chase. So as, as Caleb comes up here and Christina works her way back there, think about it like this, right? What happens when you start living out a cycle of respect and love, right? Living out your positive chase, right? What happens, right? Really, what happens when you embrace what you are really fighting about? Right, that, that negative chase exercise. What happens when we do this? Something beautiful and powerful, very, very powerful, that is what happens. As if finding out what you're really fighting about is not enough. When we live out a positive chase, you have more peace. You just do. You, you have more joy. You have more fun. You have more security. And if you are a parent, you have more secure kids. Right? This can all happen when we submit and respect and love our spouses, which is not easy. It's just not easy. But if, if our marriage is going to be what we want and what God wants, what God is commanding, we have to submit. We have to, we have to love. We have to respect one another. Man, country church, it is so so worth it. It takes just a little bit of maturity. Actually, actually, probably quite a bit of maturity, but it takes that love that honors God, right? We have to practice this week's 4-4 habit, right? And this week's 4-4 habit, right? Habit number three is have a positive chase. Fight for a positive chase. Listen, people who have great marriages do not always have an easy life. Right? The marriages are not always made up of perfect-looking people doing perfect-looking things in perfect-looking locations like we point out each week with our bumper video, right? They're not always made up of, of two people who come from similar uh, backgrounds or great stories where everything is perfect and easy and simple. 
right? The things that, that great couples with great marriages have in common is a habit of a positive chase. Right? They, they, they fight for that. They are made up of two imperfect people who respect and love each other, which helps you become your best us. Thanks for listening to the Foundry Church Podcast. We'd love to stay in touch. Visit us online at thefoundrychurch.com or connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at the Foundry Burke.